You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. Hi, everyone. I'm Reva Chessis. And I'm TJ Winnick, and this is And Then Some. Our guest today is Jay Ash, president and CEO of the Massachusetts Competitive Partnership, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization comprised of 17 of the largest businesses in the Commonwealth, which is focused on policies and initiatives that make the local economy stronger and more competitive. Jay previously served as the Commonwealth Secretary of Housing and Economic Development in Governor Charlie Baker's first cabinet, a Democrat in a Republican administration, a rarity in today's political climate. He was also the city manager for 15 years in his hometown of Chelsea, and he is a veteran of Beacon Hill as well. Jay, it is so great to have you. Great to be with both of you. Uh, thanks for having me. You know, Jay, Reva and I have wanted to have you on for a while now because we think you're really the ideal podcast guest in that you can talk about so many things, some of which I mentioned in our intro, but also your absolute devotion to ice cream fraps, uh, basketball, uh, why the North Shore is the best shore, and great breakfast joints across the state. Did I leave anything out? Um, I'm going to agree with three of those four, but uh, having served the entire Commonwealth, I'm going to reserve judgment on which shore is the best shore, depending upon where I am sitting at the time. I thought you might say that. (laughs) There really is so much that we can talk about. However, we're a communications-focused podcast, as you know. uh, And one thing that we appreciate is what an outstanding communicator you've been throughout your entire career, not just when speaking with others in person, but also how you've leveraged digital communication and Twitter in particular. Uh, At what point did you decide to lean into social media as you have? Was there a big learning curve at first as you got adjusted to platforms like Twitter that can definitely be difficult to navigate? You know, I I lead my life by a number of slogans, and one of them is it's about evolution, not revolution. Um, I bring that up because I kind of evolved into uh, being able to uh, leverage um, other mediums other than uh, voice and uh, the occasional um, news story that I would drop in the local newspaper. You know, long before I knew that Twitter existed, I was um, kind of doing a version of Jay Ash Twitter, which was actually a listserv. I had a thousand uh, local emails in a city manager, I was sending out a regular email uh, to residents called the inside scoop. We all love to hear the inside scoop, right? We want to know what's going on. And I found that the inside scoop and very short tidbits about things that were happening and even teasing some things that may happen started to pick up um, some favor in the community. In fact, many people would stop me in the streets of Chelsea and say, um, not thank you for balancing the budget. So I'm not thank you for solving the latest labor contract, but boy, I read your inside scoop and I can't wait to find out what's going to happen on, in Bellingham Square. So um, I found the power of communicating with people in a different form in my voice, uh, my written voice to be very powerful. We all take a look at people and we size people up right away and you think you know who the person is that you're talking with. In my case, I'm always wearing a dark blue suit and a white shirt. Um, I looked like I was right out of uh, uh, U.S. government, maybe even the FBI. And I found that... Um, by using social media, I could get away from that stereotype, you know, being a bureaucrat or or now maybe being a, a corporate flack and instead allow people to see that I was more than just that. 
And so I've used social media to give news, my perspective on news or things that I want people to understand about the news, but also get it in return. But I've also used it to um, show a different side of me, maybe a more humorous side of me. At least I think it's humorous. And also get to know people, uh, maintain existing relationships. But also I have developed so many meaningful relationships on Twitter with people that I've never met in person. And frankly, during this pandemic, I want to thank all of them because a lot of them helped me get through the, the low times that existed in the pandemic because none of us were seeing each other face to face or in person. But uh, man, I was tweeting like crazy and they were tweeting back. So it's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, social media is a good thing if used right. You need to remember it's not the real world all the time. It's only a snapshot of the real world. You can't go down the rat holes that God knows people want to take you down. I just want to say, I, I'm really glad that you have that viewpoint on it because there are obviously so many people who could say, oh, I, I get so much hate and I get so much, you know, awful in my DM. So it's really nice to hear that your your interaction with Twitter and your experience has been way more positive than negative. Yeah, you know, I've, I've developed a, an ability to understand that not everybody's going to love me. In fact, you know, having grown up in politics, uh, you know, I was a, I, I worked campaigns when I was six years old and, and um, have been in politics um, all my life. We consider landslides to be 60, 40 events. Well, 40 percent against you is an awful lot. If you dwell on that 40 percent, um, you're going to have problems. So um, recognizing that there is always somebody out there who's going to have a different perspective and even maybe hate you, as long as you don't return that hate and you respect their perspective, um, it's a good thing. I've had I've had some very challenging Twitter back and forths, and I've disarmed people by not going down the rat hole and being a hater myself. I respect what other people's opinions are. I may not share those opinions, uh, but I respect your ability to say that. And here's why I feel differently, as opposed to, no, you're wrong, and, and, and I can't stand you. And, you know, uh, so if you come at it with the right frame of mind, um, and avoid those as much as possible. Sometimes you need to push back a little bit. It can be a better, uh, the, the Twitter world, the Twitter sphere can be a better place for you. And crisis communications, we often talk about, you know, lowering the temperature. And it sounds like you've been very effective um, at that. I, Jay, I just wanted to ask you, the inside scoop, was the ice cream metaphor intentional? <laughs> no, that's a good one, though, TJ. I never thought of that. I, I guess I, I'll talk to you about fraps for a minute. You know, I think about, I think about a presence on Twitter, uh, not unlike a character, the cartoon that has been um, drawn of all of us. There's always a feature that is accentuated, and that feature extends, uh, tends to define who you are. Me, I'm a big guy. I get some big features. My nose is always the big feature that's uh, um, that's uh, uh, drawn by character uh, character artists. Um, I think about Twitter the same way. About if you're going to show people a side of you, figure out what side it is that you want. And that feature can often be accentuated. In my case, I happened to start um, driving. I was driving around the Commonwealth as Secretary of, of, of uh, Housing and Economic Development under Governor Baker, as you said. And um, frankly, I needed to get something in me for food to keep my weight up. I was losing weight. I would joke with, joke with the governor all the time. You know, I'm on the Baker administration diet. You work me to death. I don't have time to eat. I'm losing all kinds of weight. So, TJ, I started, I started just grabbing a quick frap. More for the calorie intake. Who amongst us, you know, wouldn't want that? Now I don't need the calorie intake, but back then I did. And I started to notice that people were taking notice themselves about it. And so I started to play that up a little bit more and it became a thing. And as it became a thing, I played more into it and became more of a thing. So much so that I had people showing up at my speeches 
and bringing me fraps. I had people inviting me to meetings, including one at 6 a.m. I had a 6 a.m. meeting in Pittsfield with Ellen Kennedy, the president of Berkshire Community College. And on the breakfast table at 6 a.m. at Berkshire Community College was a frap waiting for me. What flavor? So, uh, chocolate, chocolate, uh, chocolate frap. Okay. And, um, you know, I've had I've had so many people bring me fraps. I had I had one period, I had three in 16 hours. I, so the frap thing became a thing. And then I started to play into it to become more of a thing. And people talk to me all the time um, about ice cream and fraps. And it's been one of those enjoyable things among several other things that I've, uh, I've gotten out of Twitter. Well, it, it's ironic because you would think that a baker diet would actually have you gaining weight. But um, <laughs> so, Jay, your, your tweets you know, are, are genuinely funny uh, and when they're intended to be. And, you know, you've had these running themes, which you've just discussed. I think it was egonomics when you were secretary, a meeting with local business leaders throughout the state. Uh, we've talked about fraps. You have fraps with followers. Curious if your colleagues have asked you for advice or tips on sort of curating their own Twitter feed, having seen what it's done for you. Yeah, I've had some of those discussions. Um, I don't know that somebody has actually stopped me and said, Jay, help me. But in, in a course of a conversation, we've uh, talked about people enjoying, seemingly enjoying my tweets and what's, you know, what's the difference maker. I've, I've shared with them the idea of identifying something that people don't know you for, but that you love, letting them in inside your life about that. But also, um, uh, TJ, a thing that you haven't talked about, I like to think that I'm a selfie king as well. And of course, uh, part of that is that um, at six foot seven, I have very long arms and those very long arms allow me to capture more people in a frame as a selfie than others do. So uh, both Governor Baker and I are um, famous for our selfies and everybody loves to be in a picture and a picture says, you know, a thousand words, as, as we know, it's probably 10,000 now with, the pre with, uh, with inflation. I think doing selfies, I cannot believe how many people who have important titles and otherwise we think of as stodgy characters change their attitude when you turn the camera around to them and say, let's take a selfie. Shifting gears away from social media, but staying on the same, uh, in the same vein that of how you make people feel. As Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, you were constantly on the road, making sure that no corner of the state felt like it didn't matter to you. You know, you didn't stay sequestered in your office on Beacon Hill. As well as being practical, you know, was it kind of symbolic as well, being seen as someone who cared about the entire state and not just those communities inside 128 or 495? Yeah, it's funny you say um, uh, corner because I actually did uh, the four corners of the state. So as a um, as an alum of bingos, um, I worked my local church bingo to help raise money. Um, one of the bingo games was the four corners. And um, I decided early on that um, I wanted to do the four corners of the state. Um, so I checked off all four corners. I consider Salisbury up north, Provincetown uh, south, um, Williamstown, West Northwest, and Mount Washington um, on the bottom left-hand corner. And I, I've been to each of those four communities and every corner in between. There, uh, you know, I did, I was averaging about 35,000 miles a year in my car, mostly Massachusetts driving. A lot of people get on the road and do a lot of miles. Uh, 35,000 miles, when you consider that east to west in Massachusetts is only 190 miles, um, you need to do a lot of driving um, in order to do that. But the driving was about more than uh, just logging miles in the car. Um, again, coming back to this theme of trust, um, I found the best way 
um, to show people that they can trust you is to go the extra distance, literally and figuratively here when we're talking about driving, um, to make relationships. And so I've always believed uh, when I was city manager, I would go to businesses that I was trying to bring to Chelsea. I would go to their place, not have them come to mine. And a secretary, um, and the governor encouraged me to do this, um, uh, gave me the um, ability to do this. Um, uh, yeah, I was on the road constantly, driving from place to place. It's so much easier now than it was 30 years ago because, one, you just have to listen to a voice and it gives you the directions, right? I never stopped in a gas station asking for directions with 35,000 miles. But, two, in between stops, I was on the phone the whole time. So, you know, we talk all the time. Why not talk and show up someplace as opposed to talk in the office and wait for somebody else to come? So, yeah, I did. I did 35,000 miles. I, 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 I tried to go the extra distance and it was symbolic because I know myself having grown up in Chelsea, which was once a part of Boston for hundred years ago. I bet a lot of people didn't know that, but Chelsea was once part of Boston. I lived in the shadow of Boston growing up in Chelsea. And yet I was right next door. I know how difficult it could be, I actually, I imagined how difficult it could be. And now I've learned how difficult it can be to be even further away from Boston and still feel like you're part of Massachusetts and still still feel like somebody was uh, was listening to you. So yeah, I, I went out on the road specifically uh, to show people that the Baker administration governor and I cared about them, but that they were an important part of what we were trying to accomplish in Massachusetts. And I got a lot of positive feedback uh, from people who would say things like, geez, we've never had a secretary uh, come out to our community, or I can't believe you're coming a second and third time. The first time I thought it was just a show, but here you are the second and third time. One of my favorite stories is that um, as a as a former municipal official, if I had some time, I would often drop into a, a local town hall. So I was um, driving one day to uh, Williamstown, and um, one of the ways that Siri takes you or, or, or Google Maps takes you to uh, Williamstown is to actually leave Massachusetts and come back in. So you take uh, the pike all the way out west, go to New York, and then come back in. When you come back in, I, it's Hancock, Massachusetts that you come back in on. So I come back in in Hancock, Massachusetts, and don't you know, boom, Hancock Town Hall is right there. I look at my watch. I'm, I'm ahead of time. I got a couple of minutes. So I stop in at Hancock Town Hall. When I was city manager at Chelsea, I was responsible for 1,600 employees. Hancock Town Hall, there were two people in town hall. The first woman I went and saw, hi, Jay Ash and uh, Governor Baker, Secretary of Housing and Economic Development, just stopping by to say hello. She said, yeah, what can I do for you? I, I knew right away that she wasn't interested in my spiel. Uh, so I, I found the second employee and she was like, wow, we've never had a secretary here. Can I take you around and show you? And she showed me aspects of town hall, including the basement of Hancock Town Hall. That was fascinating to me as a municipal buff and a city hall buff and town hall buff, but also really driving home the point. And when that town official told this story over and over and over and over again, it was like I was there a hundred times. And so there's reasons to do it that are genuine. And then there are reasons to do it for business. And the stories get told um, over and over again. So yeah, I drove around a lot, um, making sure that people felt like Boston was listening to them um, and knowing, letting them know that um, I was not only uh, there for one time in a picture, but I was actually there to roll up my sleeves and, and try to help them solve uh, the problems if I could. We do want to get to the the mass competitive partnership, Jay, and, and you are just the second CEO in the partnership's history uh, with Dan O'Connell stepping down in 2018. I want to ask you what was appealing to you about the post and what was it that you wanted to accomplish? Importantly, sort of how you wanted to chart your own course as the new CEO. Yeah. So remember that evolution 
not revolution, evolution, uh, the evolution of JF. If you told me when I was growing up and I was a young kid involved in politics in Democratic Chelsea and I bled blue that I would be a secretary someday in a Republican administration, I would have told you you were crazy. But the evolution of how it, it takes place is is also about the evolution of how Jay ends up at, at the Massachusetts Competitive Partnership. So just a, a quick note, when Governor Baker called me and said, I want you to be part of my team. I kind of knew it was coming because we had we had some fond exchanges during the campaign. And, and a big guy himself, whenever we were in the room together, we weren't particularly friendly, but we would always see each other over the heads of everybody else and, you know, kind of wink and give them the, oh, hey, how you doing thing? So uh, I knew I was going to be a member of, uh, uh, I knew I was going to be under consideration. And TJ, I found it interesting being a Democrat in a Republican administration because I had these long-held beliefs about what Republicans were. And I figured that, as a lifelong Democrat, the first thing that would happen in a cabinet meeting would be that I would get some orientation, you know, Republican 101, this is what it means to be in a Republican administrator. And it didn't happen in the first cabinet meeting. So I figured it happened in the second one. It didn't in the second or the third, the fourth. Finally, after 10 cabinet meetings of me being the Democrat in the, in the room, I stopped and I asked myself, why is it that I'm not getting this Republican 101? It was a very important point in my tenure with Governor Baker, because it was at that point that I, I truly recognized that Governor Baker didn't much care about the Republican way of doing things or the Democratic way of doing things. He only cared about the right way of doing things. And it didn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. He was bringing the right people, hopefully, to the table um, to jointly work on a bipartisan effort to get things done. And so that message was really important to me. And I heard that um, and was able to translate that any number of times uh, to people out in the community. Um, admire him so much for that. I learned a lot, including, if I may say, because this is a communications uh, podcast, the preconceived notions we have about the other side are awful. And we should really break down the barriers. I have met so many wonderful Republican elected officials and people who have been lifelong Republicans that I never paid any attention to when I was in the Democratic Party. I feel like my life has been enriched uh, by opening up my view and uh, allowing for um, all kinds of people who may have different opinions than me uh, to come into my world. So anyway, um, the question is, um, sorry, that was the politician. No, no, that, that that's fine. So to talk about how that plays into uh, you accepting the role at the Mass Competitive Partnership, where you are essentially somewhat of a the voice of big business in Massachusetts, are you not? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of, you know, uh, there are a lot of voices out there. And of course, uh, the the business people that I work with, 17 large ones, are voices are presences under themselves. And just a, 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 another quick explanation of the Massachusetts Competitive Partnership. Many people are familiar with Chambers of Commerce. Big difference between my organization and many business associations is that the CEOs themselves in my organization have to participate. They can't staff it out to a vice president or an HR director or somebody down the road. So when I have a board meeting, I have the CEOs of Fidelity and Putnam and Vertex and Suffolk and Robert Kraft sitting around the table, Bank of America. I am sitting with Brian Moynihan, who it was funny, the last uh, board meeting that I had, I was doing my due diligence, reading up on all the news stories. And I found that Brian Moynihan had just come from a meeting with Prince Charles. And now he's going to be sitting with Jay Ash, welfare kid from Hot Scrabble, Chelsea, um, to talk about public policy. So my my experience in economic development has evolved. I didn't uh, come out of school as an economic development guy, but it was something I took a liking to. I had some success in Chelsea, which caused Governor Baker to ask me to be part of his administration. I became more successful in economic development, got to meet all these CEOs, and I I found that not only were these CEOs great job creators, 
innovators, uh, amazing innovators, and generators of taxes, that tax money that I had been spending for years as a public official. But they were also social do-gooders. And I, I feel bad sometimes for our, our business community because as human nature has it, we always think about yesteryear and all the old stories that we know about this, that, or the other thing. There was a time when there were a lot of business people who were pretty scurrilous and they deserved a bad rap. This is the 21st century. Things are so different. I'm not, I'm not going to say that there aren't some bad business people out there. But the 17 CEOs that I sit with and many more that I met as secretary are good people trying to do good things and they deserve a fresh look. And so I I enjoy, and this comes from my Chelsea heritage, where Chelsea always had a bad reputation and I fought hard to change that reputation. I enjoy looking for people or places or things um, that um, have the capacity to do real good things and help elevate that capacity in advertise that capacity. So, you know, again, talking about Bank of America, Bank of America last year, ready in terms of cash donations that they made last year, a third of a billion, that's right, B, billion dollars they made in cash donations. The reason why Brian Moynihan was meeting with Prince Charles was to talk about global warming and as a leader in global warming. Bank of America is leading an effort with us uh, to hire more persons of color um, into companies. And so I had the opportunity to go work with 17 large companies that have both the mission and the resources to make a difference, not only in the economy, which is our primary focus, but on social good. And so I do sit around the table with some Republicans. I've been very lucky uh, to be able to do this. And um, working with these 17 companies is, is remarkable. The, the doors that have opened up, uh, the ability to get things done, um, and watching how they you know, they operate. I just I just read something and then I'll I'll stop. I just read something. Uh, um, uh, Boston Business Journal um, is put out the uh, top corporate contributors um, in Massachusetts for the last year. And of the top 15, eight of them are members of my organization. I wasn't surprised because I see it every day. You know, when you talk to Robert Kraft during the pandemic and he tells you about the stories, the behind the scenes stories of what it took to get an airplane out of the United States and into China to pick up uh, PPE to bring back to the United States. It's just a fascinating story. So um, I've been blessed with a great opportunity to continue uh, to have an effect on public policy and on on social justice um, and to do so um, outside of government this time, but uh, maybe sometime back in government sometime down the road. So a little bit touching on what you were just talking about, the business world has undergone seismic shifts in just the last 10 years alone. The Me Too movement, the call for greater diversity and equity and inclusion and access, you know, all of those pieces, which you touched on a little bit. Your chairman, Jeff Leiden of Vertex Pharmaceuticals earlier this year, spoke to the globe about social justice and providing opportunities for all as one of the four pillars of the partnership moving forward. And to us, that seems to signal a more inclusive mission. So we're curious how you communicate that outwardly. You know, what I found over the years is it's um, it's important not only to talk about it. Uh, TJ, you were, you were alluding to, wouldn't it be great if our politicians did this, that, or the other thing? Um, oftentimes, people show up and they just want to talk. Um, I'm doing a lot of talking now, but I'm typically the one that listens. I'm typically the one asking questions. So it's about talking, but it's also about listening. It's about showing up. And then it's about actually leading, doing something and leading. And sometimes leading means following. Interestingly enough, I, I had to learn that. Um, over the years of being a public policy official, that sometimes the best way to lead is to get out of the way and follow all the people that are, are are leading and leading well. And so there's a lot of good efforts that are out there, a lot of great efforts that are out there. And and, and 
uh, places to collaborate with people, with organizations um, uh, in business. So um, our effort uh, has been to identify uh, places that we think we have the ability to move the needle, identify collaborators uh, to do that and roll up our sleeves um, outside of a political process, but trying to be responsive um, as we would if we were representing people uh, to make things happen. And so, you know, we focused on our ability to promote economic justice as part of social justice. And, um, you know, that means about education and training. It means about uh, creating jobs and, and, and giving people um, opportunities to jobs, including those that haven't traditionally had the opportunities at those jobs. It's about business development. It's about access to capital. It's about making sure that the economy works for everybody. And um, we've really been we've really been committed to that. Uh, but if I could if I could give credit to another uh, business leader, business association leader from another organization. You know, I'll preface this by saying I'm, I'm having a big birthday in a couple of months. And the birthday is going to start with a six for the first time. Um, and while I've been around for decades now, I'm constantly learning from others. And I learned something from J.D. Chesloff, who's the uh, director of the Massachusetts Business Roundtable, when it comes to social justice. And what I learned from him is that um, when advocates feel very strongly about their agenda, you don't challenge them on the agenda. What you do is you try to listen to what the agenda is and figure out how you can pick out pieces of that agenda that you can influence. And so oftentimes what we do is we all get we all get wrapped up in defending our beliefs and our positions instead of listening to others and finding ways that we can come together to work together on a common um, interest and a, and a common achievement. And what I learned from JD and I I've been uh, imp implementing myself is to listen to what um, those who have been on the outside, those who have felt like equity has not been a friend of theirs, um, listening to what they believe equity looks like, and then trying to figure out how best to make equity happen through the prism of ours, which is economic competitiveness. And um, so that has us doing job training. Like I said, with uh, Bank of America, we have um, 13 of our companies right now participating in a, in a program to bring in candidates of color who are trained uh, by us to then go into the companies and, and make a difference. Uh, we have programs looking at procurement and access to capital um, and so many other things that we found that by doing that in developing meaningful collaborations and showing people that we are listening and we are showing up and we are willing to follow um, that you can get a lot accomplished. And I like to think with Jeff Lydon is our chair and, and so many others, uh, so many of our other CEOs. It's remarkable what, what our companies are doing. I, I spent Labor Day uh, reviewing some responses that they had to questions we had about mentoring. It's a remarkable what our companies are doing. And so helping to fine tune that, helping to direct it, helping to advertise it, helping to find a collaboration and further support it uh, kind of is my responsibility and the reason why I like working in this organization. We need to do more of it. And all of us need to look at ourselves every day and say, what is it that we can do different and better in order to make this a more equitable society? Yeah, it's a challenge we're, we're all facing and you know, hopefully continue to work on together because it's one of the most important fights that um, you know we'll all be engaged in in our lifetimes. Jay, thank you so much for joining us. And on a much lighter note, I think I speak for Reva when I say uh, we would much rather have a frap with Jay Ash than Prince Charles uh, any day of the week. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, and if you did, you know that I would be paying for it. And oh, no, I shouldn't say that about England. OK, um, I would be paying for that. 
Tremendous. Well, then uh, it's a date. Uh, And to our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of And Then Some. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out. And if you've enjoyed this conversation and previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media. Solomon McCowan Sensi on Instagram and at Solomon McCowan on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.